Good afternoon, I'm Leon Davis. It is 2 p.m. Saturday, June the 13th in the great Midwest. I'm coming to you from live from the city of St. Louis. Um, this is the podcast Altitude Adjustment, the podcast covering people, politics, and professions. It's a weekly podcast, and I thank you very much for joining me today. So this week, um, last week we had a spirited discussion, and I have uh, my two favorite gentlemen uh, coming back to join me this week. And um, so over the course of the week, so the, today's podcast is titled Defunding Police. Um, <clears throat> in doing my research, I ran across an article, a Vox article, Vox.com. And if you find the podcast on um, YouTube or if you, the video version on YouTube or the audio version, uh, you can find where you find your favorite audio podcast. Uh, you'll find the uh, link to this particular Vox article. Um, the title of the Vox article was The Abolish the Police Movement, explained by seven scholars and activists. Now, in this section, one of the scholars and activists named Christy Lopez, which is a law professor at Georgetown University, wrote this. For me, the language of, of abolition is important because it reminds us that there are facets of policing that reflect and perpetuate America's longstanding use of state-sanctioned coercion, including violence, to control the bodies of black people. What this means in terms of action items and policy initiatives is that we need to scrutinize our state and local budgets, educate ourselves about what police do versus what we need to be, feel, to be and feel safe and realign the budget and our social programs to better serve our public safety needs. We start this process by rethinking what we mean by public safety and by questioning our assumptions about when and why law, law enforcement is the right vehicle to address. That podcast coming up right now. Welcome to Altitude, Altitude. Adjustment. Adjustment. Oh, it doesn't look like we got any audio on that. It's always something, isn't it? Welcome, gentlemen. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, glad to be here. How's everybody? I'm doing fine, and thank you for asking. At the, on the top of the screen is Leonard Davis. On the bottom of the screen is Warren Harper, Jr. I thank you, gentlemen, for coming back and joining me this week for another exciting round of Altitude Adjustment. I hope your week was a very productive one for you and yours, and a safe one. So let's get started with um, defunding the police. So one of you guys want to take it, don't want to get started and what is your take on defunding police? Well, I had to go and do some reading on it to see what people was meaning. And the original person who, who started calling for it, I forget her name, but she's a co-founder of Black People Matter. And she said it wasn't about take all the money away Although in Minneapolis, they want to do something similar. But she said, let's spread money in other areas that we grossly underfund, like mental health, mm -hmm. for example, and where we don't have to use as much police resources to deal with that. Uh, 
you know, let's let's deal with those people. Uh, I believe it was Trent, New Jersey, if I'm getting it right. Camden. They still think they murdered, huh? Was it at Camden? Camden, Camden, New Jersey. Camden. They sent an emergency uh, medical worker along with a mental health counselor and mental health college. Okay. That, that, unless, there was, unless there was known violence mm -hmm. that the police had to deal with. And, you know, she said, let's get some of these other areas up, like the homelessness and what have you, that we underfund education so that we don't have to use the police as much because we're asking them to deal with something they weren't necessarily trained for. And so I thought that argument had a lot of merit. Very good. Okay. Warren? Well, yeah, I think um, uh, that Camden, New Jersey situation was the only, uh, I guess, actual situation where they went as far as to um, re redistribute redistribute the, the entire uh, force, forces funds and and they came out with a new program. But I, I'm not sure what the people talking about it now are really, really have in mind. So I think it's too early to really um, to describe it because it's just a conversation, you know. And so until they come up with, uh, expose what their real plan is, I think we'll just be guessing and, you know, not really sure what, what's going to happen. But I, I do agree with the idea of uh, shifting resources from the police budget to uh, social service areas, uh, education, housing. These are things that are, are coming out. Uh, the programs that would actually prevent or, you know, minimize some of the crime that the police are actually dealing with. And the police, uh, because they're not, they're not trained to deal with, um, very well to deal with mental health situations. You know, they come in with the brute force and want to lock you up and tase you and shoot you. You know, that's not really solving the problems. So uh, I think uh, some fundamental reform is needed. Uh, I think uh, departments like LAPD and New York have billions of dollars in their budget. And when you look at that huge amount of money, you got to think, how better can some of those resources be used to actually help the people? So, so, so here's my take on defunding the police. Defunding the police is just a, to me, a, an extension of, or a um, um, mutation of community policing. So, okay. A couple of years ago or a year or so ago, we were talking about community policing, about getting um, getting the whole uh, apparatus of community services rather than, you know, police going in and locking people up, police go in, maybe assess the situation and then get involved. The organizations that need to be involved in order to resolve the situation, because not, as you both mentioned, not. Uh, police intervention is not always necessary, but it seems that um, we've turned the police into a catch-all. So when we have a problem with uh, someone um, sitting on a, a stoop or in front of a store too long, we call the police uh, rather than trying to find out if that person is actually homeless and they're trying to get something to eat or what the situation might be. 
the first line mm-hmm. of approach is uh, bring the police in and let them sort it out and let them handle the situation. And as you both have mentioned, they're not trained for that. They're, you know, they're not social workers. That's not their, their core uh, skill set. So when you bring in uh, someone who's trained to um, use force in order to mitigate harm, uh, you can't be surprised when they misuse force, uh, when they're called on, uh, on something that they haven't dealt with or they're not prepared to deal with or they're not funded to even deal with. Because a lot of the things that we ask police officers to do, while the, the budget is big, it, it's, it doesn't go towards um, resources like uh, connecting them with social workers. It doesn't go with connecting them to, you know, if they run across uh, a, a young lady who, are, who has been trafficked, you know, what, what resources do they have to mitigate that situation? And is that, so there's a, a piece of that that they have as far as, you know, finding out who's doing the trafficking and have that person arrested because that's the crime. But how do they deal with the trauma and stress that this young lady or our young man, because men are trafficked too, mm-hmm. you know, they're not prepared to deal with that kind of stress. So, so how then are we asking them to do that? How? Somebody? Well, it's just when they come and, it, you know, if it gets physical in a way, they're going to react to you physically. And the idea usually is to bring so much force down on you that Hopefully you see that there's no sense of resisting, but we always got people that resist. And I just remember reading an article that even with the, with putting on body cameras and these officers were seen doing stuff, they rarely get disciplined for it. They let alone charges filed against them and they go to jail. Uh, I'm not about going out and putting a bunch of guys in jail, but if they cross the line, yeah. You know, like the guys did with, Joe, uh, uh, with Floyd and then wrote a report that lied, said he was he was going against them and he was fighting against them. And they had videotape from both sides of it. And so what we just did, for example, was make trying to spend a $20 bill a death penalty crime. That's ineffective of what we did. Yeah. Uh, and you know, when our sister's supposed to be, bring him in and let the courts deal with it and see and see what he did. You know, it was just the same way with uh, what happened in Ferguson. And you know, we protected and hid the officer as a community, as a society, Darrell Williams. Mm-hmm. After he gunned this boy in the head in the street. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just treat everybody the same. I'm for giving the policemen certain liberties because of what they have to do. But when they cross the line 
and kill people. You know, we got to look at that. We got we got to examine it. We have to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. I think. Go ahead. I think um, also an area that needs to be looked at is uh, accountability for what they do, you know, reviews. Uh, we know the police unions have a lot of power and control over things. And, um, you know, sometimes they're helping these guys most of the time get away with the stuff that they do. For example, like when you take um, that Breonna Taylor incident, when you look at uh, the police reports that they initially wrote, I mean, they were just flat out lies. And uh, how do they get away with that when the truth comes out? Those guys need to be fired for, for just covering that stuff up like that. You know, it's, it's no excuse for that. The, the woman's mother was sent to the hospital when she was in the apartment dead. You know, how could they do that? There's just no excuse for that. And I think you bring up a really interesting point. So even if, even if we, so defunding, first off, a lot of people, I think, uh, recoil when they think of defunding the police. What they're thinking of is that we're going to completely eliminate the police as a um, law enforcement agency. And what defunding really means is it means um, uh, taking away uh, limiting the scope of police uh, interactions with the public to to what they should be and taking that extra money that we've poured into police departments and put it into social programs that help um, reduce crime in the first place so that you don't have to have such a large police budget. So, so a lot... So a lot of, um, so, so you bring up a great point. Um, even after we cut the police budget and we limit the scope of what police officers do for the, with in their interactions with the public, um, we still gonna have that issue where police officers are misrepresenting what the, the facts on a police report about something that went down. Um, mm -hmm. We still have the issue of uh, body cameras and should we continue to use body cameras and the effectiveness of body cameras. And um, we have the issue with police officers not activating their body cameras um, in a time when those the uh, video from that body camera is going to be extremely important in giving the, the public confidence that the police department is acting in a respectable manner. Sure. Yeah. The problem is, even with the camera, even with the footage, the defense of the police officers show, oh, you look at that, you see he didn't have enough time to react. And it's just that the people with the authority to do something, don't act. And more times than not, the person with the authority to do something is elected. So you got all these demonstrations, all these marches, that's good, but the people that are 18 and over need to register and vote. 
and it starts from the local level mm -hmm. all the way up to the national level. Uh, you got to elect your mayor, your county supervisors, your city councils, your county councils who hire these people and who more times than not have the election. Uh, you got to put in more civilian review boards that mm -hmm. can overstep what was given. Uh, the governing bodies have got to do more of putting in the accountability measures in in uh Go ahead. in in the negotiation with police and negotiation agreements. Oh, I uh, if and you not let, and not letting huh? No, go ahead. And not letting the police unions and not letting the police unions determine what happens. When you have a case like Minneapolis, the current head of the union was involved in a daily shooting that officers got away a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And you can't let him decide who and what. You can't let him do that. So it's, it's, it's a whole lot of things that you can do with then you elect senators and representatives. And, you know, it goes all the way to the president. Like, you know, this person we have in the office now who put active duty military troops on the street to push peaceful protesters out the way so he can go get a picture in front of a church with a Bible. Right. And I mean, this is how you fight this stuff. You know, you got to go to the ballot box and you got to vote against these people. And people that were in position 20 or 30 years and didn't do nothing. Hey, it's time to take them out with the voting booths at the voting box. Yeah, voting is critical, mm -hmm. no doubt. Mm -hmm. Voting is definitely critical. We need laws changed as well. Um, what is that uh, immunity protection that the police have that needs to be uh, revised? Okay. You know? Revised. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you take you wear the uniform, but you still should be accountable under certain laws for things you do. I mean, I look at I look at what happened with when I was still a firefighter. They the feds passed a law that says all professions they had to drive for a living. We had to undergo drug tests. Mm -hmm. So whether we was public or private, because the pilots union for one was real powerful in stopping it from happening to their members. And I used to work at Abbott Ambulance on my day off from the fire department. And one week I went to three different drug tests, two in the fire department and one at Abbott. Wow. So you gotta so you gotta you got to pass them out and say, okay, these no matter what you say on the state these particular laws can't be if he the cops aren't taking drug tests yeah they 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 were covered under that law they had to take drug tests cab drivers ambulance drivers uh people that that i knew work with the city with dump truck drivers and that kind of stuff they that 
that uh, law covered them all. Train engineers, airline pilots, it covered all of them. So you mentioned uh, review boards. Yes. Uh, Citizen review boards. And so for me, one of the things that has always stuck out as far as when people, when I hear citizen review board is you have the problem of citizens who may not have ever done that job, who may not ever have worked, you know, for citizen review of the fire department or citizen review of the police department. You have people who may sit on those boards that have never done that job. And one of the things that that I know is that if you lack experience in a particular field, there are little things that you don't understand. And so take, um, I program, okay? And so someone who doesn't program can look at the code and say, that should take five minutes to write. But because they don't write code, they don't understand all that goes into those few lines of code, all of the testing, all of the uh, troubleshooting, and, and, and where they think it should take five minutes, it could take a couple of hours just to write a few lines of code. And so what I'm saying is, if they don't have the experience of working in that profession, and then they're a part of the review board, is it quite possible that they could do more harm than good? And if you put people with the experience on the review board, then they just become a rubber stamp. Because they're going to side with the people in the industry and never going to really hold them accountable because they're going to be more sympathetic to the plight of people working in that industry. Well, I think it's definitely a challenge uh, as far as picking the right people on those boards. Uh, You made some good points. And uh, I don't know how to solve that, but I think First of all, there, there definitely needs to be some sort of uh, test for each different type of board to uh, prove qualifications that this person is qualified to be on the board. But then again, when you look at associations, maybe, you know, that's another situation. Is this person too close to the police? Is this person too uh, radical? Or, you know, how, how do we sort that out as far as who actually is a good fit? That's that's. That's an interesting proposition. Um, I think um, people are very leery of the wrong people being put on the boards for sure. You know, like for example, if you put uh, a a police union official on a review board to review cops, I mean, we know how that's going to go. We know that's that's going to go. That's that's sad. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, you know, the cops could say, oh, yeah, well, we don't want this person on the board because they, they're they anti-cop, you know. Uh, 
you got to weed that out too. I mean, you know, so I think there needs to be a good interview process. Um, maybe, I don't know if public election is a solution. Uh, would the public be trusted in doing that? That's, that's a good question. Something has to be sorted out. I, I think that was a good um, thought. You know, um, I didn't think of it being a, a selected or an elected position, um, but the whole decision-making process, um, it, to me, I think is, is a tough thing because, as I mentioned, either they're not close enough or they're too close to the situation to really be objective and get to the core skills necessary in overseeing the the operations of those those agencies right right that's that's a, a real challenge i mean could should you have retired police officers should you have maybe judges former judges that know the laws and know ethics and you know, things like that. I, I don't know. Some thought probably has to go into that as far as who would make a good reviewer, review board candidate, you know. So it's I, just, go ahead. Well, with everything you do, you have people who can run it who don't have experience in it. Like, even though we have a fire, we had a fire chief the same year, we have a fire chief. Mm -hmm. But at any time, that person is subject to the mayor's whim uh the mayor is his boss like what you've seen if you remember what all the stuff that went down with chief sherman george and mayor francis slay for example oh. uh, you, you know you have a person on the city council who like in charge of the public safety board who has some sway in what can or won't happen, just depending on how much political power they have. Mm -hmm. uh, every, you know, only thing we want is for segments of the society who do the right thing, who the police encounter that are not on, it's not too much for them to expect that the police don't kill them. It's not too much to expect for the police to not murder them. It's not too much to expect for the police not to beat them up and stump on their back. And then when you look at the way, the difference in the way the suspects are treated, like the guy that recently kidnapped to be kidnapped a woman and shot two people. You know, mm -hmm. they show when he was arrested was sitting on the ground. And a policeman finna pouring water into him. Or the guy that went into the church in Charlottesville trespassing on these people's property and yeah. decided that he wasn't benefiting from white privilege, so he'll go kill a bunch of people. And you know, the tape I saw the police coming to where he was finna arrest him, putting their guns away and took him and bought him Burger King hamburgers. Okay. Uh, yeah, I still can't believe that one. But, you know, a black person getting accused of spending a $40, $20 bill and didn't shoot nobody, hasn't killed nobody, hasn't kidnapped nobody, 
no that way. police officer standing all over his back. And you cut off circulation, you cut off ACE, you cut off air. And that guy stood on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. What do you do? And people are going to call for the extreme because they're tired of it. They're just Absolutely. sick and dead and tired. Absolutely. So all this coworkers stand by and watch or help. One watched and the other two helped. So Yeah. So so the, the defunding, um, as I mentioned, I think is um is a new term for community policing. And so we get to let's let's say and that that we start to make a change in how we see police and what the role of police are in our society. And we start to limit those roles and we start to get police out of situations where they're called on homeless people or that they're, um, they're not the primary source of dealing with mental illness or, you know, jaywalking. You know, is is jaywalking a serious enough offense that we need an officer with a gun? Uh, maybe we have officers that carry guns and then we have officers that don't carry guns. And the officers that don't carry guns handle those non-life-threatening calls. Maybe that's a part of how we do policing moving forward. Um, I think we definitely want to take a look at, because there's been an escalation of giving police responsibility in society. <coughs> Pardon me. So there's been a, an escalation, and there's been a move towards um, more and more aggressive nature in the police dealing with the public and that was a recipe so you 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 give them more you give the police more authority you give them more responsibility to handle everything you you give them immunity from anything that they do that's harmful and then you give them a gun and what can you expect Freedom. from from police interactions yeah absolutely it's like they have all the power and then they got those uh those little magic words that seem to get them off the hook for anything mm -hmm. i fear my life oh my so you can just start popping off rounds like crazy you know which has happened over and over again, you know? So one of the things that, um, that I thought was important. Um, so we've been here before. Uh, it may, it may not seem like we have, but we've been here before with the rioting. I mean, not the rioting. I want to rioting is not necessarily a part of protesting. It just seems to happen. Um, some people may argue with me that if you have a protest, you will have rioting. But 
uh, I want to look at. So we've been here before with the protesting. We've been here before with we want to do better. We we want to we want to make life more palatable. We want to treat our citizens fairly. Um, the motto of the police department is to protect and to serve. It is its mission is nonviolent, non-threatening, to protect and to serve. And so we've been here before. Is the, do you have a belief that this time is different? Well, yeah, what's different now is people are just tired of the way things have been going on for so long. And I think uh, that protect and serve motto is, is really not fitting what's happening. You know, there's more, um, I don't know, there's more abuse and uh, harm being done in too many cases. And I'm not letting all criminals off the, the, the hook that need to be arrested that sometimes cross the line and the cops might have to shoot them. You know, that those situations definitely exist. But I think with uh, all the video we have and proof of uh, unnecessary uh, deaths at the hands of police, I think it's, it's past due time for some reform, you know, and the things we discussed, you know, uh, different social services being put in place and, and, you know, demilitarizing the police, you know, we don't really need tanks and uh, all this excessive force uh, being brought in, you know, when it's just not necessary. If police were doing things the way they should, people wouldn't be in the streets protesting. I mean, that's just the fact. This has come to a head where the people have just had enough. So it's, it's time to reform things from the top down. You know, people are reacting to uh, excessive force and abuse, murder. So Leonard, do you think it's this time is different? I'm hopeful because it's not just the blacks out there saying you're mistreating me. There's Caucasians out there saying you're mistreating me. There's American Indians in different places protesting. There's Hispanics out there protesting. There's Asian Americans out there protesting. Because uh, I know, like we talked about, I think last week, this time our Asian American brethren are having discrimination thrown at them with this COVID-19 virus. Uh, but you know, you now, you got to take this energy to the ballot box. For all the people, all the people that are upset, they got to take it to the ballot box and it's got to show. Uh, I know in a lot of places there's certain people that need to be voted out, but that's just my personal opinion. Uh, you know, it's that's how you that's how you got to make change, and then you got to let the other one know if you get there and you sit on your butt and start taking all those free lobbyist dinners, all those free lobbyist drinks, and you selling out our positions to feather your own pockets, we getting you out of there too. And sometimes it may take three or four election cycles really to get all the change you want. But the American people got to be strenuous about it. Instead of having 20 and 25% at the voting boxes, 
we need to have 75 to 85, 90% at the voting boxes. So in America, that's where a lot of things start is at the vote. Mm -hmm. That's where a lot of things we get is at the vote. That's where a lot of things we do at the vote. I mean, you think about it, I was talking to a friend of mine who keeps up with this. And in like three or four states, just if the African-American vote had to get out, Trump would have lost those states. And he wouldn't be in the White House today. Granted, in my opinion, we didn't have a much better alternative going. But I figured she was better than this guy. That's just my opinion. So, you you know, you just got to work. You long as they transfer that energy. And this is a perfect election cycle to do. You transfer your energy into making change. Now, where you make the change is the ballot box. And so here's here's my take on the long-term diagnosis or long-term possibilities. I'm looking for the right word there. <laughs> this, like many other movements, flared up because of an emotional reaction. The number of people in the street is going to, and, and, and fortunately, it has not dissipated significantly this time. But like any emotional um, outburst, eventually you come back to equilibrium. In order for change to be sustained, there has to be a sustained, consistent, persistent effort with measurable results mm -hmm. and um, um, identified goals. We're having a conversation, you and I and uh, the three of us, about what we think um, defunding the police looks like. Um, but there has to be a discussion about what policing in America is going to be. Not what we think we want, but what it's going to be. There has to be put in place a plan to get there, a way to measure the progress, and a sustained effort in making that happen. Because without it, we will just go through this cycle again and again and again. If we use emotion to affect change, change will only happen when emotion is high. And that's not going to be to the benefit. I am hopeful that people recognize the need for change and that it's going to be a sustained effort. But usually what happens is a movement flares up, a few people step to the front, take the lead, and then when they get the momentum going and they get a few changes, other people say, okay, you got it going in the right direction, you handle it. And they turn around and walk away. And they leave it to a few people to try to continue to affect change. When it took a whole bunch of people to get change in the first place. 
when people are emotionally tied to something, it will change on a day-to-day -day basis. When people are uh, tied in other ways. So black people and policing has not changed in this country at all. We've dealt with this since, since we came to this country. You and I, each one of us knows the feeling of having police lights in your rearview mirror and what goes through your mind. And you should never have to think, what does he want if he's behind mm -hmm. me? If a police officer is behind you and you're not doing anything, you should not ever have to worry about that. But that's not a reality that you and I have lived with. This is true. This is what we've had to live with every day of our life. And the thing is, is we want change. Right now, there is some change. But if it's emotionally driven, a lot of the people that are standing there in the streets now that's calling for change are going to be on to a new and different cause when the feeling hits them and that is my concern is that in order for this to stick in order for this to become a reality um, there has to be some longevity to it and it can't be about how how emotionally i feel about one man getting killed and 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 i'm saying it that way not because he is just one man and not because he's insignificant, but he is just a symptom of the problem and a lot of people are reacting to that one symptom and not the whole problem. Any last comments yeah, from right. you guys? Yeah, I agree. I think... Um your point is well taken. Question is, we talked about um, people rising up under their emotions and reacting, and then after the emotions go away, you know, they kind of walk away and leave it to somebody else. So I, I get that. So the question is, how do we keep that? How do we keep that intensity, dri emotionally driven? Uh, desire for change, how do we keep that going over a period of time? I think we need leaders in place that can keep that energy focused and directed in the right directions, you know, as far as uh, changing policies and things, uh, legislation, uh, getting the right people elected, voting, you know, we keep talking about voting. Uh, I would love to see all of the people activated and out in the streets protesting, going to the polls. But we also know that the enemy of um, fair elections is out there playing games and with this voter suppression. You know, if you followed the uh, elections in Georgia, that news was just horrifying of how mm -hmm. certain people could vote in and out 10, 15 minutes, and then uh, people of color were late 
waiting in line, ridiculous lines and going through all sorts of crap just to vote. So that that really needs to be addressed. But I I'm not sure how those states are going to overcome that. Hopefully they can get it done. But it's it's nothing new. It's been going on forever. And those southern states, particularly Georgia, manage again and again and again to pull those shenanigans, you know, so uh, I don't it looks like it might be time for the federal government to step in this. I don't know, because they shouldn't be allowed to do that, but they keep getting away with it. So uh, got a comment from James Surgeon conversations will need to continue behind the scenes challenge the 94% who agree keep being engaged until the systemic structure is cracked who will be this generation's Moses let this country go <laughs> all right that's a good one any last comments <laughs> gentlemen we'll close this uh, up that's no, did I okay. try? Huh? all right all right so I did have I did have some some facts on so I, I did want to mention this before I, I, I go. Um, so the, the some some statistics are in about um, body cameras and they found that it did not impact police violence, use of force um, any in any way significantly. And it was because of what you had mentioned, one of you had mentioned earlier, was that the police know that if they're brought up on uh, use of force, that they are protected mm -hmm. about, you know, about that use of force. So the whole idea behind the body camera is that the police officer is going to recognize that they are being watched and they will um, moderate their behavior. Um, and the problem with that is uh, what's overriding is um, they're protected and their police unions will protect them uh, right. in their use of force. So the, the camera, they don't even care. It, it doesn't even factor into their behavior. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the video with uh, the Chauvin case. I mean, he just sat there and posed in front of the camera, mm -hmm. literally, with his knee on the man's neck. He didn't have a care in the world. You know, how could that be? You know? All right. So world's I'm sorry, go ahead. No, the whole world's watching, so he wasn't worried about the video. I want to thank you, gentlemen, for joining me this afternoon. It has been a pleasure. Uh, coming up next week... I'm going to be talking with a friend of mine, a public health professional, dealing with uh, how to deal with stress. So make sure you join me. I thank you very much uh, for um, watching this week and hope you'll join us again next week. Thanks for having me. That's this episode and thank you for listening. This podcast is designed for live right, listener interaction. Visit the website, thelionsdenstl.wixsite.com slash home for details about how to join the conversation. The video version of Altitude Adjustment is available on YouTube. Search for Lions Den STL. And the audio podcast is available on Stitcher.com, Anchor.fm, 
the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Music Store, to name a few. Look for Altitude Adjustment where you get your podcast, and consider making a contribution by visiting anchor.fm slash altitude-adjustment2. Remember, the internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. So please, like, share, and comment on this and other episodes, because it matters. As always, be cool, be calm, and above all, be careful. Look out for the other guy, because they may not be looking out for you. <laughs>